Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Oma Gyana Timarandasya Janajana Shalakaya Chakshurulmiritam Jaina Tasmai Shri Guru Namaha. I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Stapitam Jena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadatitswapadantikam. When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada? was established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet. Vancha kalpa tarubhyascha kripa sanubhyavacha patitanam pavanevyo vaishnavevyo namonamaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Shri Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. I pray that Sri Sri Radha Kalachanji, Sri La Prabhupada, and Sri La Gurudev use me as an instrument so that their message can flow through me to give me the words to serve the Vaishnavas listening. Today is Tuesday, December 21st, 2021, and we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 12, Birth of Emperor Parikshit, Text 13. Dasya Prita Manaraja. Vipraya-dhaumya-kripa-tipi-jatakam-karayam-asha-vacha-itvacha-mangalam-dishyat-dasya-prita-manaraja. Vipraidhamya kripadibi Jatakam karayamasa Vachitva chamangalam Dasha his Pritamana satisfied Raja King Yudhisthir Viprai by the learned Brahmanas, Dhaumya, Dhaumya, Kripa, Kripa, Alibi, and others also, Jatakam, one of the purificatory processes performed just after the birth of a child, Garayam, Asha, had them performed. Vachayitva, by recitation. Cha, also. Mangalam, auspicious. 
Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. King Yudhisthira, who was very satisfied with the birth of Maharaj Parikshit, had the perfect purificatory process of birth performed. Learned Brahmanas headed by Thaumya and Kripa recited auspicious hymns. Purport. There is a need for good and intelligent class of Brahmanas who are expert in performing the purificatory processes prescribed in the system of Varnashram Dharma. Unless such purificatory processes are performed, say that three times fast, there is no possibility of good population, and in the age of Kali, the population all over the world is of shudra quality, or lower for want of this purificatory process. It is not possible, however, to revive the Vedic process of purification in this age for want of proper facilities and good brahmanas. But there is the Pancharatrika system also recommended for this age. The Pancharatrika system acts on the Shudra class of people, supposedly the population of the Kaliyuk, and it is the prescribed purificatory process suitable to the age and time. Such a purificatory process is allowed only for spiritual upliftment and not for any other purpose. Spiritual upliftment is never conditioned by higher or lower parentage. After the Garbhadhana purificatory process, there are certain other samskaras like Simantanayana, Sada Bhakshanam, etc. During the period of pregnancy and when the child is born, the first purificatory process is Jata Karma. This was performed duly by Maharaj Yudhisthira with the help of good and learned brahmanas like Daumya, the royal priest, Kripacharya, who was not only a priest but also a great general. Both these learned and perfect priests, assisted by other good brahmanas, were employed by Maharaj Yudhisthira to perform the ceremony. Therefore, all the samskaras, purificatory processes, are not mere formalities or social functions only, but they are all for practical purposes and can be successfully performed by expert brahmanas like Dhamya and Kripa. Such brahmanas are not only rare, but also not available in this age. And therefore, for the purpose of spiritual upliftment in this fallen age, the Goswamis prefer the purificatory processes under the Pancharaitrika formulas to the Vedic rites. Kripacharya is the son of the great Rishi Saradban and was born in the family of Gautama. The birth is said to be accidental. By chance, the great Rishi Saradban met Janapadi, a famous society girl of heaven, and the Rishi Saradban discharged semen in two parts. By one part, immediately a male child, and by the other, a female child were born as twins. The male child was later known as Kripa, and the female child was known as Creepy. Marge Santanu, while engaged in chase in the jungle, picked up the children and brought them up to the Brahminical status by the proper purificatory process. Kripacharya later became a great general like Dronacharya, and his sister was married to Dronacharya. Kripacharya later on took part in the Battle of Kurukshetra and joined the party of Duryodhan. Kripacharya helped kill Abhimanyu, the father of Maharaj Parikshit, but he was still held in esteem by the family of the Pandavas 
due to his being as great a Brahmana as Dronacharya. When the Pandavas were sent to the forest after being defeated in the gambling game <clears throat> with Duryodhana, Dhritarashtra entrusted the Pandavas to Kripacharya for guidance. After the end of the battle, Kripacharya again began became a member of the royal assembly, and he was called during the birth of Maharaj Parikshit for recitation of auspicious Vedic hymns to make the ceremony successful. Maharaj Yudhisthir, while quitting the palace for his great departure to the Himalayas, entrusted Kripacharya with Maharaj Parikshit as his disciple, and he left home satisfied because of Kripacharya's taking charge of Maharaj Parikshit. The great administrators... Kings and emperors were always under the guidance of learned brahmanas like Kripacharya and thus were able to act properly in the discharge of political responsibilities. So Srila Prabhupada makes this point that we need to have good and intelligent class of brahmanas. Let's look at what is a brahmana and how to become a brahmana. So according to the Varnasham Dharma, there's the division of society that we consider like the four castes in India. However, this division is, is prevalent everywhere, right? We have blue-collar workers, and we have white-collar workers, and we have professionals, and we have laborers. So the brahmanas, if we look at what caste of society they are, there's intelligent class. These are your academic, academicians, your teachers, educators, writers, scientists, thought leaders, priests, ministers, doctors, then you have Kshatriyas. These are the ruling class, the administrative class, the protectors, the warriors, leaders, police, other administrators. Then you have Vaishyas, which is the mercantile class or the business class. There are also farmers and merchants. And then you have the Shudras, the labor class, the artisans, the workers. So according to Krishna and Bhagavad Gita 4.13, the three modes of material nature and the work associated with them, the four divisions of human society are created by me. And we know that we have the three modes of material nature. We have the mode of goodness, the mode of passion, and the mode of ignorance. And so we have modes that are associated with each class. With the brahmanas, it's the mode of goodness. With the kshatriyas, it's the mode of passion. With vaishyas, it's a combination of the mode of passion and the mode of ignorance and Shudrat's mode of ignorance. Now, one thing we want to make sure we realize is that one class is not necessarily superior to another class. All classes are needed. We need to have laborers, and we need to have leaders, and we need to have thought leaders, and we need to have people that are making the money, the business class, the vaishas. All are required for functioning society. We don't necessarily think of one part of our body to be more superior than another, like the brain. The Brahman class is um, associated with the head of the body. The Kshatriyas are associated with the arms. And the Vaishyas are associated with the body and the Shudra, the legs. We need all parts of the body for a good working physical body. Now, we can probably do without, you know, that we have people that are quadriplegic, right? They don't have functioning arms or legs, or maybe they've lost them um, in some sort of accident or something like that. But at least we need the body and the head, right? Those are like the main things that we need to still be alive. But we need all of it, really, to be a good, functioning, fully able human being 
or even animals, right? Even animals need all parts of their bodies. The best example that I can give um, of this, sometimes we think one class is superior than another, and we forget that we need people, you know, we need people that are going to clean the streets. We need people that are actually going to do the labor. We need the Shudra class, you know, very much. There's a movie I often talk about called The Day After Tomorrow. I don't know if anyone's seen that movie, where there's like this big um, flood or major catastrophe where the land is no longer livable and all of like the rich people in society created these major arcs like boats like the um, Noah's Ark type situation and they were either selling seats on this ark or they you know appointed people to be the seats and they were appointing people like scientists and leaders of states and rich people because they thought well these are the people that we need to um, recreate a society when, you know, the floods recede and we're able to live on land again. And it's true, we do need scientists, engineers, people to rule and make sure everything's working properly. But we also need people to build, to actually do the construction, to actually, you know, take um, out those, put out those orders. Like, can you imagine a scientist having to go work construction site? Like, physically, a lot of times they're not physically capable of doing such hard labor. And the ironic thing in the movie was that the people that actually helped build the arcs weren't even allowed on the boats, right? So, and those are the key people that we need. We need more laborers than thought leaders. You can have one leader, but you need several people to do, to carry out the orders or the tasks that are needed. So we often think, oh, you know, we all want to be brahmanas in the sense of we all want to be leaders, we all want to be heads of states, we all want to be thought leaders, and that's great if that's our constitutional nature. Some of us are equally inclined to um, do things that are more using our hands, that are more constructive or creative in that type of nature. Um, And so we want to make sure that we honor what our our natural tendencies are and not feel bad that, you know, if someone's an artist, they're considered part of the Shudra class because that's more artisan work and that's more, you know, using your hands. But that's just as necessary as someone who's a doctor or um, a priest because we need both, all parts of society to fully function. So then we look at what are the qualities associated with each class. You know, we talk about we have these qualities inherent within us, right? So in Bhagavad Gita 18.41, Krishna says, Brahmanas, Kshatriyas, Vaishyas, and Shudras are distinguished by their qualities of work in accordance with the modes of nature. 18.42, peacefulness, self-control, austerity, purity, tolerance, honesty, wisdom, knowledge, and religiousness. These are the qualities by which the brahmanas work. 1843, heroism, power, determination, resourcefulness, courage in battle, generosity, and leadership are the qualities of work for the kshatriyas. 1844, farming, cattle raising, and business are the qualities of work for the vaishyas, and for the shudras there is labor and service to others. And then Srila Prabhupada states in this verse, in the text here, that there are no qualified brahmanas, only shudras in this current age. 
But then he's also making call for us to have qualified brahmanas. So how do we become a brahmana? Prabhupada states in the purport today that spiritual upliftment is never conditioned by higher or lower parentage. So it's not due to our birth that we become brahmanas. We have to have, you know, there's a certain purificatory processes that need to be done at the time of conception, at the time of during pregnancy, and also at the time of birth, after birth as well. And even people that are born in the so-called Brahmin caste might not necessarily do all of these purificatory processes throughout. And it's more than just rituals. It's There's... There's a thought behind it. There's meaning behind each of these rituals. And a lot of times, even if they're doing the rituals, they're not thinking about the, you know, the meaning behind it. They're doing it more as an obligation, you know, as a ritual. And then Prabhupada goes on to say, for the purpose of spiritual upliftment in this fallen age, the Goswamis prefer the purificatory processes under the Pancharatrika formulas to the Vedic rites. So what is this Pancharatrika formula that we can use now instead of Vedic rites to become brahmanas, to become qualified? Does anybody know? What the Pancharatrika formula is? Diksha, so initiation, spiritual initiation by a spiritual master. Yes, that's part of it. Anyone else have any ideas? Chanting of the holy names, exactly. So in the purport of Srimad Bhagavatam 4.4.34, Prabhupada says, according to the Pancharatrika system, in this age the entire population is supposed to consist of shudras because the Brahminical culture has been lost. But if anyone displays the signs of understanding Krishna consciousness, they can be accepted, according to Vaishnav Smriti regulations, as a prospective brahmana and should be given all facilities to achieve the highest perfection. The most magnanimous gift of Lord Chaitanya's is that the highest perfection of life is available in this fallen age if one simply adopts the process of chanting Hare Krishna which is able to bring about fulfillment of all activities and self-realization. Say that again. What did you say? Of all activities and self-realization. So it's based on qualification. We can qualify ourselves to become brahmanas. And it's not by birth. It's by displaying an understanding of Krishna consciousness, by surrendering to a spiritual master, and by chanting Hare Krishna. In the purport of Srimad Bhagavatam 3.33.6, Prabhupada says, whether one has acquired the qualification of a brahmana depends on the judgment of a bona fide spiritual master. They bestow upon the disciple the position of a brahmana by their own judgment. When one is accepted as a brahmana in the sacred thread ceremony under the Pancharatrika system, then one is dvija, twice born. He goes on to say, by the process of initiation by spiritual master, a person is accepted as a brahmana in their purified state of chanting the holy name of the Lord. They then make further progress to become a qualified Vaishnav, which means that the brahminical qualification is already acquired. So when one qualifies as a Vaishnav, they automatically have the brahminical qualities and the qualifications. 
So whether whatever position one has in society, whatever tendency we have under the Varnashram Dharma, we can all become Vaishnavas and be just as qualified as a Brahmana. So even if we are working as a Shudra, as a laborer, a street sweeper, or police, or doctor, or, you know, business person, um, we can become Vaishnavas and be fully qualified and still be working in these positions. So, under the guidance of the spiritual master, we qualify ourselves. And then the spiritual master can deem us qualified by giving us diksha or initiation, which is just the beginning of our spiritual life. Right? We're not, you know, we don't achieve initiation and diksha. We're like, okay, there, we've done it. We're done now, right? It's just the beginning. It's the beginning of a relationship with our spiritual teacher, with Krishna, and then we work to delve that even deeper. And then during this process of spiritual initiation, we make certain vows, right? We make these vows to make sure that we think about Krishna more than we think about ourselves or our own sense gratification. And then, so we make these four vows of not to do things, right? No meat, fish, or eggs, no intoxication, no illicit sex, which is sex outside of marriage and procreation, no gambling, and, um, but then we make this one vow to do something. It's the only vow we make to do. All the others are to not do. And that one vow that we make to do is chant 16 rounds of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, right? So that's the, that's the one thing that we promise to do when we start this progress of our spiritual journey. And we do that because it helps us qualify ourselves for the nine processes of devotional service. Who knows, who wants to say some of the nine processes? Offering prayers. Hearing, chanting, remembering, worshiping, serving, becoming Krishna's servant, becoming Krishna's friend, and then surrendering everything. So, What's the one process that we really want to focus on is the one vow that we actually make to our spiritual master, to Krishna, is to chant our japa, which is mantra meditation. And we make this promise to chant a certain prescribed number of times the mantra every single day. It's the most important activity that we can do during the day. It's our, it's our development of personal relationship with Krishna and how we connect to him. And then we please our spiritual master by doing so. And that is one of our goals in life, is to please our spiritual master. And, you know, when he's pleased, he bestows upon us this purificatory process, right? He deems us qualified to become a Vaishnava. So we want to make sure that we really focus on our chanting every single day with full attention, And then everything else that we do, like reading, um, following the four regulative principles, um, avoiding the ten offenses, it's all to strengthen our japa, our mantra meditation. So we're in the last couple of weeks of 2021, right? And 2022 is just, what, 
10 days away. So it's a good time to think about, you know, what are some of our intentions for the new year? And a good intention to make is to try to um, chant really attentive rounds during, you know, starting 2022. It's not a resolution, right? New Year's resolutions, they end probably January 2nd or 3rd. They fall by the wayside. This is an intention. This is a goal. This is um, something that you're focusing on and you're creating a plan about, right? So if you're going to create a plan to chant better japa, you want to know what kind of plan you want to create. So first and foremost, anytime you're thinking about starting a goal or wanting to achieve a goal, you have to think about who do you need to become to achieve this goal. If we want to chant attentive rounds, who do you need to become? For instance, and you always want to say them in like I am statements as if they're already done, right? I am disciplined and focused on um, being present in the moment, right? So that would be someone that I become in order to chant attentive rounds. Can anyone else um, share what you think you want to become in order to chant attentive rounds? I am humble. That's a good one, right? So sometimes we look at we can look at the qualities of um, what does it mean to be a brahmana and say, you know, I'm truthful, you know, I I'm compassionate, um, merciful. I offer respect to everyone, right? Those are some of the things that peop, some of the qualities that we want to become in order to be able to chant good, attentive rounds. The next thing you want to look at are what are some habits, disciplines, or behaviors you want to start in order to chant good attentive rounds. For instance, um, waking up early, which means going to bed early, right? So anyone else can think of any habits or disciplines that you want to start? More regulated sleep is always important. Right, that's important too. Like maybe, you know, slow your eating later in the evening, um, eating healthy throughout the day, even exercising and movement. You know, sometimes before I sit and chant my rounds, I'll do yoga because it's um, it helps keep the body loose. And so if I sit for too long, my body gets tight, and then I start focusing more on the aches and pains of the body than I am of chanting the rounds. Um, you know... Another discipline could be to read, right? You might want to read right before you start, or you can make the discipline of, um, or a habit of, you know, uh, reading Krishna's pastime right before you chant your rounds, right? So there's something that can help you focus a little bit better. And then we all have habits and disciplines that we're already doing that we can do more of, right? Um, For instance, I have an altar set up, right? So I can expand the altar to include, you know, like I've been doing that slowly. Like I have, I added um, a soft light so that I'm not distracted by other things. I've added an essential oil diffuser that can um, spritz air with 
you know, nice scent that helps you focus. You know, so there are different things that you can set up and you can expand on that you've already done. So can anyone think of any habits that you already do that you can tweak and maybe do a little bit better or do more of? Yes. Engaging in kirtan can help with our chanting as well. Yes, definitely. And then we have habits and behaviors we want to stop in order to be able to chant more attentively, right? So, I mean, I'll be the first to confess, you know, watching TV is my biggest vice. That's one that we can, I can eliminate, right, or do less of, you know, find some balance and um, probably it's a whole snowball effect for me, right? Watching less TV will probably help me get to bed earlier, which then helps me wake up earlier, which then, you know, helps me chant more attentive rounds. So what habits or behaviors do you need to stop? If you feel comfortable sharing, you can share. Otherwise, we can. So maybe um, not painting too late in the evenings, maybe doing it more during the day or setting a timer. Criticizing, oh, that's a good one, fault finding. Yeah, that can definitely affect our mental state as well as our our mantra meditation, right? Because that's all about our mental state. And then you can look at the top three modifications that you'll make into your daily routine. What habits do you want to create? So now we're talking about we've listed all these things that we can do. Now what do we want to like actually implement? So, you know, um, and how do you implement them? So that's a, it's a two-part, right? What actual habits and how do you implement them? So like one could be, um, you know, want to get to bed early. And, you know, Ritesh Vajabharaj talks about this a lot too, setting an alarm not to wake up, but to go to sleep, right? So when the alarm goes off to go to sleep, it means stop everything, get ready for bed, and go to bed. So that's one, you know, um, habit that you can create, and then something to help you create that habit is using something like that. Um, does anyone have any other ideas about a habit you can create and how you can implement that habit? Right, so read before you sleep, maybe having the book right on your bed's nightstand and having a nice light right there too. So that's the habit and then how you make sure that you can implement the habit. So then there's other things we want to look at in how we um, create this goal of chanting with attention. So we can set up intermediate goals, right? So like, let's say, I want to make sure that I am chanting a fully attentive 16 rounds by December 2022, right? So now I have to set up intermediate goals, maybe by April 2022, um, between now and then I could work on being present in the present moment. Um, and then 
I can also work on between, you know, let's say starting off with like four rounds or two rounds or one round, you know, starting and saying, okay, by this date, I'm going to work on chanting one round attentively and then slowly increasing. I mean, if you did one round, focused on increasing by one round each month, by December 2022, you'd be at least 12 rounds, you know, attentive. If you add maybe like, you know, one and a half or two rounds each month, you'd hit your goal by six months, right? I mean, it's not so cut and dry because we're not talking about um, something that's tangible, right? Chanting attentive rounds is not a tangible goal, but you will know when you're achieving it because it is, it's a goal that you can achieve. So you can look at intermediate destinations and set time limits and, you know, reassess. Like if you haven't hit it in the end of January 2022, you're still chanting, you know, all your rounds inattentively. It's hard to focus and you want to like look back and say, okay, what can I change in my habits and in my disciplines that will help me to achieve that goal, right? That's another good reason why to have intermediate destinations. Another thing is you want to look at who's going to be impacted. Who's going to be affected by you achieving this goal of chanting, you know, 16 rounds attentively um, with full attention? And, you know, are they going to be affected in a beneficial way or in a detrimental way? And there's always that kind of cut and paste, right, or that give and take where, um, let's say your family is going to be affected. You know, you may not spend as much time with them, but then they're also going to benefit because when you're chanting these type of attentive rounds, you are getting in touch with your best qualities and becoming your best self. And then you're more available for your relationships. I find especially if I can get my rounds chanted in the morning and they're good, I mean, maybe not 100% attentive, but they're good in the terms of, you know, I haven't been scrolling my phone while chanting, or I haven't been watching TV while chanting. I'm not worried about cleaning the house while chanting. You know, it's just I'm chanting, and maybe the only distraction is what's happening in my mind and not so much external. Even with that, like, not quite high-quality focused chanting, I feel much better during the day. I know that I'm not as irritable, and I'm nicer and more tolerant. Um, and actually feel loving and gratitude, right? So it's uh, it's that um, push and pull. I had to spend those, you know, that one hour and a half, two hours in the morning, but then it actually makes my the rest of my day really free and open because the other part of it is I'm not sitting there thinking the whole time, oh, my God, I still have my rounds left. I still have my rounds left, right? Like, Sometimes, and I've been guilty of this too, 10 o'clock at night, oh my God, I still have some rounds left. So when you get them done in the morning, that stress is kind of gone. And that also can help you get to bed a little earlier, which then helps you wake up earlier, which then helps you chant your rounds in the morning. So you want to look at who's impacted. And if you have family that are going to be impacted, you can tell them like, look, you know, I'm, this is the goal that I'm setting. This is why I'm setting it. This is what I hope to achieve. And this is how you'll be affected. You know, I may spend a little bit less time with you in the morning or in the afternoon, but I'll be free at this time, and you'll get a better version of myself, you know. And 
most people can understand that. Spouses will understand that. They may even be supportive of that, you know. So then the next thing you want to look at is who can help you on this path? You know, mentors, coaches, um, cheerleaders, supporters, right? Well-wishers. So we want to make sure we understand who all these people are. Our spiritual master is obviously our coach. You know, he's he, they can definitely guide us on this path. But we have other people as well. We have um, shiksha gurus, right, people that are, are uh, maybe a little bit more senior, have been around a little bit longer, and then they can give us guidance. We also have... Um, you know, our friend circle of devotees, and we can make it a point of supporting each other. Like, it might be accountability. Hey, did, you know, like, whoever finishes chanting the rounds texts each other, right? Maybe be a little competition. It can maybe be a little, you know, um, engagement. So we can have these kinds of things that we put into place that can help us to achieve our goals of chanting attentive rounds. And then we can also have mentors from a distance, right? We have so many books on chanting japa attentively. Um, we have um, easily accessible recordings of, you know, YouTube, Facebook um, talks about uh, chanting uh, japa attentively. Like I know Sachinananda Swami did a whole Facebook series of you know, series of lives on that, and I think the recordings are still available on his page of how to chant attentively. Um, and that, you know, you could, he also has a Japa retreat, which I'll talk about in a little one of the other categories. But, you know, those are some of the ways that we can engage with Shiksha gurus, and they may not be physically in front of us and talking to us. In some ways, that's better because we easily have that information available to us, right? Like, let's say... Um, one of the people that I, you know, talk to a lot about my spiritual progress is Ritesha Swami. But he's not always easily available to me, right? Like, yes, I can call him, but maybe he's busy or maybe he's doing something else. Um, but if I have his a recording of him talking about Japa, which he does every single day, he records two and a half to three minute um, little tidbits about how to improve your Japa. I can listen to that any time, night or day. It doesn't matter. There's no thought of disturbing him as I listen to it. Um, so that's when you have virtual mentorship, that's almost just as good or even better because you can access that any time. So you want to make a list of who are these people that, you know, in what category do they fit in? Are they your cheerleaders, you know, your peer groups, your support group? Are they your mentors? Are they your guides? Obviously, we know where our spiritual master falls into that category. And then how can you take advantage of their association, of their teachings? You know, is it by email, by phone, by Skype, or FaceTime, or Zoom, or, you know, scheduled meetings regularly, or, you know, other things like that? And then what kind of research do we need in order to attend or attentively chant our rounds? Like I said, there's many books that have been written. You know, Burijan Prabhu has written a nice book on chanting japa. Sachinananda Swami has written a couple of nice books as well. Mahatma Prabhu has some really nice books, and he's got that one that's called Japa that 
I love to read his little quotes. You know, he's got some affirmations for chanting Japa that you can read right before chanting Japa. Like, I get to chant, I want to chant, I love to chant, right? And you think that, then you start to feel that. Like, it's no longer, I have to chant, oh my God, I should chant, right? Which sounds better, oh my God, I should chant my rounds, or I get to chant my rounds, right? There's a, a difference, even in saying it, there's a difference in the way I show up, the way the, the sound of my voice, the way my body kind of changes, you know, to be a little bit more attentive. So we have those, and then we also have Japa workshops. Um, I guess as we get back into doing things more in person, we'll probably get back into doing, you know, Japa retreats. But so many have um, switched to doing online Japa retreats, you know. Um, Houston, they used to have one every March, and I'm I'm hoping, you know, they start it back up, but they did it, I think, over Labor Day weekend, and they went, and then they did it last year, they did it online, and then this year, they did a hybrid, um, so it's like, we have this available to us, there's this idea that we can, um, have these Japa retreats. I've been to Sachidananda Swami's Japa retreat, which is amazing. And once we start, you know, gathering again, I highly recommend going to that one. It was in New Vrindavan. Um, was that like West Virginia? Somewhere on the East Coast. Um, and it was a really wonderful retreat. I, It's like you get the... Uh, nugget about chanting your rounds, and then you get to practice it immediately. And that's so important, right? Because so many times we talk about how we learn things, you know, in class or, you know, listen to a lecture, but we don't really take action on it right away. So that's something you can take action on right away. And then what kind of resources do you need in order to chant attentively? Probably the two biggest I can think of are time, energy, um, Maybe a nice place to sit, right? having an altar to sit in front of. But even if you didn't have that, really, it's just maybe japa beads and time and energy, right? And is there any other resources that you can think of that you might need? Earplugs, yeah, that could be good to cut out distractions. Maybe having water nearby so that you don't, you know, you're not thinking about, oh my God, I'm thirsty from chanting so much. You could just take a sip and continue. And then the training and self-development needed, right? Like, what else can you do in order to chant really attentive rounds? Um, so the training, we talked about Joppa retreats, listening to online lectures, um, self-development, you know, you could look at there's books about creating habits. One of my favorite is the seven, the Atomic Habits. I think that's a really good book. Um, all of these are available online, and um, they're available for you know anyone really, uh, especially the YouTube lectures and SoundCloud has a great library of um, different you know Vaishnavas giving great talks on Japa. You can always do search in SoundCloud. You can search by, like, if you know Mahatma, 
has some great lecture. You can just search for Mahatma and he'll pull up everything that he's ever done. And then sometimes he's got it separated by, you know, this is my Joppa talks. And he's got like that too. So can anyone else think of any training or resources or self-development um, research, anything else that you can use in order to help you chant more attentive Joppa? Okay, good. Yeah, having Prabhupada chanting in the background is always helpful. So, um, does anyone have any questions? I think the microphone is somewhere. And it, it's already set up. Hi, Krishna. I've been listening from the Pajaya. Thank you for this wonderful lecture. I just wanted to let everyone know, since you're speaking about uh, His Grace Muhammad Prabhu's uh, books, that I actually have them. And so if anyone wants to contact me, Jason, then um, I have them. I can give them in person, save shipping from Amazon. (laughs) Okay. Sounds wonderful. Um, Hopefully you have some of the Japa books. I have the uh, the Japa book, and then I have uh, the other. I have three books. Um, uh, one is like a little pamphlet. One's a big Japa, and then another one's like a bigger book. So I can give you the names on request. Okay, I know there's a book. I can't remember, surrendering, or I can't remember the name of the book at the moment. With the Bhakti of Wisdom of Bhakti, yeah, that one. That's a really good book too, because it's actually part workbook. So there's a lot of, um, he goes through his realizations and then he has like questions that can help you draw out your own realizations. And that's part of that like resources or research that we can do in order to be more attentive in our japa. So it's a great book. So yeah, and that is Jason. If you are interested in buying any of Mahatma's books, you can contact him. I highly recommend. I mean, I know I've read, I've got the japa book and I've read the parts of the Bhakti, Wisdom of Bhakti. I think that's what it's called. Anyone have any other questions, comments? Thank you, Antiji. So I'm going to go back to a little bit of your earlier part of the the discussion today um, in terms of I guess you you made a statement, and correct me, um, trying to be as overmatic as possible. You said that there is, you know, you mentioned the four varnas, or rather, the four, and uh, you just mentioned in in one sense that there is a sense of equality between all the four varnas, in the sense that all of them are equally important, and. Uh, and it's it's interesting because uh, it it almost seems as if you know, how do you or let me ask you let me ask you a question I mean how do you what what do you feel is is there any chance of having that equality being present and what are the basis on what is the basis of equality between these because you see all of them have different I guess occupations. I guess a teacher would be different 
a teacher is not or a doctor is not or a, you know, as you mentioned, what a few others, academicians, at least from a pure Varnashram standpoint, um, never are never paid. Like they never get paid. And then it's only the worker class, the shudra classes that are actually getting paid. That those are the that's the only one category that will uh, that will get paid. And hence, Shila Prabhupada. Not just hence, but that's you see that in Kali Yuga practically everyone's getting, even the academicians. And so equality. Right now we have this thing going about equality and stuff like that, and it's primarily based on paying. It's like, how much does a woman get paid as compared to a man? And how much does a black guy or an Asian guy or a whatever guy get gets paid as compared to... So then, we see that it will be unequal. You will not expect a janitor getting as paid as much as a doctor, for example. So, in the present context considering that there is a division of society, how do you anticipate equality to happen? What is your some thoughts on that? So the question, as I understand it, is just discussing equality in current society with the divisions of society and some of the issues that we're seeing regarding equality. So first and foremost, I'm going to say equality is not the same as same. It doesn't mean same. It just means equal in opportunity equal in um, so many different ways. The other thing is that, you know, it comes down to changing each individual's viewpoint on the matter. Because right now we have this hierarchy that, oh, to be a doctor is better to be than being an actor or, you know, to be a, a um, celebrity, you know, actor or... Uh, Athlete is better than something else. And to realize that there is no better, it's just different. People are on different paths. Um, and that all are needed. So from a personal standpoint, you know, to not feel that I'm superior over someone because I am a doctor or I am a teacher or, you know, Sometimes we get into that kind of power trip, and that's where the inequality comes into play, right? So currently we have races of people that think that they are superior than other races, and they act in such a way that creates that kind of division of society because they think that they're superior. You know, the color of my skin means that I'm superior to someone who may be darker skinned than I am. Well, that's not true. We're all, at the at the heart of it, we're all devotees of Krishna, and we all have our equal role to play. So first we have to kind of get away from this feeling superior than each other. And then the other part of it is that power. We all want power, and we establish power by saying we're superior. So, and the power comes from wanting to control and as Vaishnavas and Brahmanas, we understand that only Krishna is in control. And we really control nothing. We can't even control our own minds, what to speak other people. But we want to control other people. And so we use these things of inequality to try to control people. We say, oh, I'm better than you are, therefore I have I have to, you know, control of the situation. Now when it comes to 
a leader, we can see that good leaders actually take into consideration the entire population. We look at Marge, Yudhisthira, Marge Parikshit, how they ruled. They didn't rule with the sense of everything is to uplift me and for my sense gratification, to make me feel better. They looked at how it would benefit the entire society. And sometimes, especially in the current age, when you're looking at benefiting the entire society, there are going to be people that are going to feel marginalized, especially if it takes away some of the power that they perceived that they had. Right. So when it comes down to pay, we can say that, you know, there are some jobs that pay more. For instance, being a doctor definitely pays more than being a janitor. But then to be a doctor, you actually had to pay a lot more to become a doctor, right? Like I had to incur undergrad school loans, med school loans. I had to go through, you know, three years of residency in which time I was paid less than the janitor, but I was doing the same work as a doctor, right? Work much more. I would work, there were times when I worked 40, 46 hours in a row without a break. You know, those are the kinds of things that you look at. I was like in my 30s before I even had my first job, right? And so um, you look at that, then of course there's going to be a little pay discrepancy. Now when we talk about equal pay, I've done the same amount of work. I'm doing the same amount of work. And yet if I get paid 20% less than a male counterpart that's doing the same amount of work, that's not equality. That's them saying that their work is superior than mine. And there are studies that show that patients actually do better under female physicians. There's there's a big study that was released a few years ago that showed that, that there is better, um, they have de decreased death under female physicians. They actually have better quality of life under female physicians. And yet female physicians are paid less. That doesn't make sense. So then we want to make sure that these kinds of injustices, it's not even inequality, it's injustice, gets rectified. Because when you have an injustice like that, it um, brings up feelings of inequality, which there is no inequality. We're all servants of Krishna. We're all working towards that. So it's it's kind of like, you know, there's that... We know that we're not this body and that the 20% pay at the end of the day doesn't really make a big difference in our spiritual journey. But at the same time, we don't want injustices to continue. You know, Maharaj Parikshit and Maharaj Yudhisthira did not allow injustices to continue. If they did, if Maharaj Yudhisthira did, they would never have fought the battle of Kurukshetra because that was all about correcting injustices that had happened. So... We want to make sure that we're not creating injustice. For instance, what the African-American people are going through in this country. You know, that's a lot of injustice. So it's more than just inequality. They're looked as less than. You can see so many instances where, you know, you look at the behaviors and you can see that this, that the person that was committing these atrocities doesn't even see the other person as a human being, much less another servant, you know, of Krishna, of God. So it's when we start to look at each other as we are all servants of God, then we naturally have compassion towards each other. We start to look at each other in terms of that compassion with 
you know, what is this person going through? What hardships are they going through? How can I make that easier for that person? That can be another great way to engage with that. Um, I was reading the book, I think it's called Surrender by um, Bhakti Tirtha Maharaj. And he talks about, you know, we see, sometimes we can see um, a poor person begging in the streets, and we may feel a little compassion and give them money. But when we really are in touch with our Krishna consciousness and have that true feeling of compassion, we even think, what can I do to switch places with this person? How can I take their suffering as my suffering so they no longer have to suffer? And that's the kind of things, that's why we need brahmanas. That's why Prabhupada is saying we need a good and intelligent class of brahmanas that can understand these things that nobody is better than another and that we're not working for our own sense gratification. We're working for the spiritual upliftment for the entire society. So I hope that answers your questions and I did answer my next question too, kind of. Because you did mention about Vaishnavas, you know, we, we went through some of the qualities of Brahmanas, but the Vaishnavas qualities, um, we, I mean, the Pancharatrika, specifically Lord Chaitanya, um, you know, it's, it's, he's, he, he didn't stick to Brahmanas. He basically went beyond that and said, all right, you have to be Vaishnavas and the other, other qualities fall in one of the, some of the qualities you mentioned now of being not just empathetic, but being able to actually accept the suffering of others is a Vaishnav quality, which, um, which, is, which is beyond the quality of a Brahmana. A Brahmana may not accept, uh, can be a Brahmana, a very good Brahmana, but may not accept the suffering of others. And that's what makes Vaishnavas so special. Yeah. So um, I, I guess, I mean, from from a Java standpoint, um, or rather this whole idea of of following the Pancharatrika and following the chanting of the holy names, um, we should we should learn to accept that and expect that. Um, is, 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 is that this is what we are expected to do is to is to get the qualities that can help us help us see the suffering of others and to actually come to a point where we can pray to accept their suffering. Ah! <laughs> um, and and then equality follows and, and injustices get rectified and, and everything just follows these these several different aspects and I think the goal of chanting the holy names is probably that is, is to come to that point where we can not just experience the bliss of Krishna consciousness but to actually feel for the suffering of others exactly yeah and um, I was going to I mean there's I didn't have time but there's a whole th- I had a thought process of talking about you know that but I thought I'd focus on the japa instead but yeah that's a really important point is that you know we want to have compassion for everyone, right? We know that a Brahmana sees all living entities, you know, a Brahmana, a a dog, a tree, you know, um, lowest caste members, I think they call it dog eaters, as equal, right? There sees them as same, like in the the eyes of a Brahmana or qualified Vaishnava, there is no difference in these living entities. Just the outer covering is there. But they're all 
devotees of Krishna, they're all servants of Krishna, whether they accept it or not, or whether they regard it or not. Right? But we know that they are, so we act with compassion. And then we also understand that when we come to this level of um, understanding of Krishna consciousness, of deepening our relationship with Krishna, these external factors don't really affect us. So for me to say, you know, and I'm not there yet, so it's, I can't say it, but I can imagine it, you know, to, for me to say, let me take on your pain and suffering, I know that it will help that other person, but because, you know, there's this saying that we have in positive psychology that um, pain is mandatory, suffering is optional, right? So suffering is a state of mind. I may have the external pain, but I'm not suffering because I'm connected to Krishna. So if I take away your pain, then it's really nothing for me, right? Because I'm, I have that steady mind. I don't yet, but that's the idea, right? So um, that's what we're looking at, right? As Krishna devotees, as Vaishnavas, we can see that with Lord Chaitanya, with all of his associates. They had this idea that, well, not this idea, they had this knowledge that they knew, they felt it, they realized it, that they're devotees of Krishna. And it didn't matter what was happening outside, what was happening to their bodies, you know, what was being said to them. It didn't matter because they knew who they were and that's all that mattered to them. And because of that, you know, it's an expectation that we can have with Krishna that as we delve deeper, he'll protect us. He says, my devotee, declare it boldly, my devotee never perishes. Well, we may see the external body perish, but the soul never perishes. All right, well, I've gone a little bit longer than usual, so. Sarantara Srimad Bhagavatam ki.